Let me pray, and then we'll get into John 9, 18. Father, we thank you for ministry. And while we, I think we knew this was coming, it has been no secret, um, help us to remember that while you use people in the ministry, and we understand that, remind us all, Lord, that ministry is never about one individual or a few individuals. Ministry is about Jesus Christ and the power of Almighty God in the person of the Holy Spirit working through believers, Lord. And so we will be fine. And you have many great things in store, and we look forward to that. And so thank you for this time. Thank you for our morning. Bless now your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, John 9, 18 is where we're going to pick it up today. We started the chapter last week, and it was just too long of chapter to um, do in one week, and so we'll finish it this week. And it's a story of the blind man who the Lord healed, and, um, and then we'll, we'll just go on. Let me just start with kind of some things to get us going. Many of you might remember, um, I was always like to get us into the text, that in 1995 there was a... Uh, a well-known trial. You remember? It was O.J.'s trial. O.J. Simpson, who was a football star with the Buffalo Bills, um, committed uh, two murders, uh, brutal, horrible murders. And um, he, it wasn't the first trial ever televised, but I think it had to be maybe the most watched and it really did make it, didn't it? It made it spectacular. It made it theatrical, wasn't it? And of course, um, well, I, shouldn't, I should hold my thoughts on whether or not justice was served. Ultimately, justice is always served, right? But that's all I'm going to talk about, OJ. Okay, so, so my introductions aren't that much. But it helps us to see how to kind of view this chapter. Because it goes through these series of things, and we could look at it in the same way that it has at times this trial-like feeling, okay? And so in verses 1 through 7, we looked at this last week, you have the event, okay? So that would be, of course, something that happened before a trial. And you, what the event was, the healing of a man who was blind since he was birthed, and um, he's healed by Jesus, and if you weren't here last week, the story goes on and tells us that he encountered Jesus probably, we believe, near the temple. And Jesus anoints his eyes in this weird way by spitting, if you will, into the dirt on the ground and then making a little bit of mud. And it wasn't massive clumps of mud. They said at best it would have been maybe a tablespoon of spit. Do you, too many details? Okay, but anyway, uh, and so it wasn't a lot, and he just smeared it on the guy's eyes. And by the way, uh, the, one of the things Wednesday night, hopefully this came up, is that Jesus heals in many different ways. And he probably did that so nobody would pin it down and say, well, this is how it happens. And you don't see people doing that much anymore, do you? The mud thing. But anyway, um, he, he goes to the pool of Siloam. And he receives his sight and he makes his way back up to probably the temple area or 
the rest of Jerusalem. Then we went into verses 8 through 12, and he encounters for the first time seeing his neighbors. Some believed, right? Because they knew it was him, but others aren't sure. And it wasn't just that they were, uh, you know, pessimistic beyond belief. It was just like nobody had seen this. And it's kind of like, it looks like him, we think it's him, but we've never seen this type of miracle before. And so he answers them how it happened, and it's a great word for us. In verse 11, it said, the man Jesus did it. And what a great explanation and answer uh, that oftentimes as we are sharing Christ, uh, we don't have to have these uh, packed up answers uh, all the time. And sometimes it's just, you know, what happened to you? Jesus happened to me. Then in verse 13 to 17, this is when the trial-like thing kind of starts. The Pharisees question the man. And some, it seems, wanted to believe. It really does. They, they said a sinner couldn't do this type of stuff. But others just couldn't see beyond, by this time, their hatred that had built up for Jesus and they couldn't see beyond their laws that they had made. And again, Jesus didn't break the law of God. It was always the interpretation, um, their interpretation. And so they then were against him and they just wouldn't have it in. So the next now, the parents are brought in. And this is where we pick it up. So look at verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and ask them, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age and he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews, and that would be the Jewish leaders, you guys, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. And so we saw last week that it was probably common knowledge that this man had been born blind. Unlike us, okay, unless you work somewhere, you may work somewhere, you may have a, a walking commute, a part of your going to your job, there may be somebody that you see there all the time begging. And that's what this would have been like, um, that it was common knowledge that he was born blind. Look at verse 8. He says he was a beggar. And so I don't think it's a stretch to say he was out there all the time. Listen, in biblical times, even today, it would be difficult. But in biblical times, if you had an infirmity like being blind, that was a tough life for you. And your existence was begging. I, yesterday, I was crossing a street down in Mount Lake Terrace, and all of a sudden, all the traffic came to stop. And I was ashamed of my first thought, like, what the heck? And then, lo and behold, this blind lady was crossing the street. And I just said, cool. Thank you for just that illustration, Lord. I know where I'm teaching tomorrow, you know. But it was pretty cool. And it's amongst us. And I thought for her, and I thought, wow, as I drove past, I went, what a challenge. How do you, this wasn't a corner. This wasn't like it was a thoroughfare, but it was a, in a neighborhood. I'm thinking, how do you do that? You know, and yet she probably does it all the time. She just says, 
here we go. And I wonder if a lot of people like that really don't believe in the Lord. Here we go again, Lord. Stop the cars. Let me get across this street. But anyway, he was that way. And remember verse 1, if you want to peek up to verse 1, the disciples knew he had been born blind when they posed that theological question to Jesus. So it is pretty well common knowledge that he was born blind. So the reason I say all that, now it is interesting, isn't it, that among all the Jewish leaders, none of them knew this man. That's, it kind of gives us that impression here. But they, they didn't see him as everyone else did. Everybody else, it seems, knew who he was, his condition, and what had gone on in his life. So now we see that they didn't. But maybe they did. And it shows us how they were blind to the real need among them, the people who suffer so much for various reasons, and they were out of touch with the common people. That happens in our culture today. And I won't mention politics because I don't want to go down there, but I just did, and now your mind is there. But we see that, don't we? We see that there's different places in society, and they become immune to other needs. Even you and I face it at times, and we got to be careful. But these Pharisees just seem to be oblivious to this. So they call his parents, and we might think that he lives with them. But look at verse 1 again. He says he is called what? He's called a man. So he's not a kid or a teenager. He is a man. He is an adult. And he's probably living and fending for himself. It isn't like today, you guys. Oftentimes in a family, if there's a situation, we can take them, family members in. We can help. We can care for them. But in those days, I'm sure it was tough to live in these days. And so there's a good chance they couldn't keep caring for their son. And he is out there fending uh, for himself. And they confirm it's their son, and they confirm he was born blind. And, but he, they said how he got his sight back, they said, we don't know. And they might not have known up to this point. And this could be the first time they heard their son and saw that what had happened to him, that he received his sight. And again, John doesn't record these details, details for us because John wants us, he calls miracles signs and his goal in writing the gospel of John is that people would see who Jesus is and receive Christ. But I wonder, the, imagine the excitement when mom and dad see their adult son can see. Oh man, I bet you there were tears. I bet you there was hugs. I bet you there was, you know, kind of the... Um, the uh, family feud jumping, right? You ever notice family feud? What is that? To go on that show? When, when you win, the whole family has to come together and jump up and down like rabbits or something, right? Anyway, sorry. But you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Chris does it at times. He used to do it with worship. I said, knock it off, Chris. Okay, but anyway, so sorry. I'm rabbit trail. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, they feared, though, being put out of the synagogue. Okay, that's what it says. And they told the Pharisees then to ask them. And John gives us that little note. The reason they did this, which seems to imply they might have known, but they did it because they understood that Jewish, Jewish leaders said, if anybody acknowledges Christ and that says he's the Messiah, you're out of the synagogue. You can't worship there. And so seeing so often in the gospels, the Pharisees were enemies of Jesus. They are blinded to who he was. They are unwilling to believe. 
And so verse 24, so for the second time they called the man who had been born, who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And they're talking about Jesus there. And so a second time they, the Pharisees questioned the man. And so there's a gap here, right? Because it says the second time. There's a gap of time here. Maybe it was just minutes. Maybe it was an hour or two. Maybe it was even a day. We don't really know. But there's a gap between the first time and the second time they question him. And why question him like they did? Why not just either believe and rejoice or ask a few information type questions and, and then believe and rejoice that, man, this is incredible. But they don't. And verse 24, you guys, that might be a little bit confusing to you there. When they say, give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner. The idea is the Good News Bible captures the sense of it when it says, promise before God that you will tell the truth. We know that this man who cured you is a sinner. And the NEB, the New English Bible, does too. It says, speak the truth before God. And so some see it as giving glory to God for the good that God has just done to you, but that's probably not the way it's to be looked at and translated. The Pharisees, it's like they, he, they're, he, they're asking him to take an oath. We might say, swear before God to tell the truth now, see? And that is a sense here. And the Pharisees were pressuring the man to take back his testimony, tell the truth, admit Jesus was a sinner. And two examples of this I'll give you in Scripture, in the Old Testament, where it talks about giving glory to God in that sense of an oath and telling the truth. One is Joshua. Joshua 7, 19, when Achan, remember, kept some of the spoils that were all to be given to God and hid them in his tent, Joshua said to Achan there at verse 19, my son, here it is, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done and do not hide it from me. See, that helps you, doesn't it? Or in Jeremiah, he does the same thing in Jeremiah 13, 15, and 16. Hear and give ear. Be not proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings darkness, before you feel you, your feet stumble on the twilight mountains. While you look for light, he turns into gloom and makes it deep darkness. See, And that's the sense that what's going on here. The Pharisees are saying, hey, give glory to God. Speak the truth now. Okay, and don't you love the man who had been born blind's answer? Look at verse 25, you guys. He says, he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, here it is, though I was blind, now I see. I love that. I love that so much because they're asking him to deny what he knows to be the truth. Can you imagine that in this case? They're saying, you deny this guy who just gave me back his sight. So you may not believe he's God. I have no problem believing he's God. I know this much. I have been blind for who knows how many years. And now I'm seeing for the first time. By the way, could you imagine at the pool when he washed the mud off and his sight came back? And it wasn't because of the mud. It was because he was placing his faith in God. Could you imagine seeing for the first time? seeing shapes and people that he'd only thought about. He kind of had a sense what the shape of people, he was one. But you imagine the color. You know, I, I have a hunch he just had to stand there for a while and just kind of, you know, look around and just go, this is amazing. But that's what happened here. 
And so he did that. And, and I love when he says that, I was blind and now I see. The Pharisees were the ones who read into everything. And if it didn't fit their theology and their interpretation, um, then they didn't want anything to do with it. But to this man, it was so simple. I was blind. Now I see. He did it. And often people try to discount our testimonies, don't they? Of what God has done in our life. But what God has done in our life, listen, it is powerful. And at times you could share it with people. And if they know you, they might not even act like they care about what you're saying. But it is a powerful instrument in the, in the hands of God. And don't let others tell you differently. Don't let others diminish or make you feel stupid for your testimony and what God has done in your life. It is a powerful tool in the Lord's hand. Well, the Pharisees asked the man, verse 26, they said, what Jesus had done to him, how did he open your eyes? And the man responds, we see that he made the blind man, he may have been blind at one time, but watch this, and this is important. This man wasn't stupid. He was by no means, just because he couldn't see, didn't mean he was some type of idiot or anything else. This man is very insightful. Watch what happens in verse 27. He answered them, I told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become a disciple? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. And so back up in verse 13 and 17, the man had told them how he had been healed, right? He told them, gave them the details. This is what it was. This man called Jesus did this. I went down there, that. And not only was he alert to everything going on around him, being blind for all those years, he was smart. He was insightful. And it comes out when he says, you would not listen. See, this man is sharp. And he is, he's not afraid of them. Isn't that interesting that the power of God in our lives sometimes gives us a boldness that otherwise we wouldn't have. And so he is not afraid of being thrown out of the synagogue permanently. And he says to them, these guys that had amazing power, he said, you would not listen. And he nails them. And don't pass by when at verse 29 it says, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as far as this man, we do not know where he comes from. Others didn't have any doubt where Jesus had come from. Now, I agree, not everybody believed, but you have to understand, hundreds of people by this time are believing. They have seen the things, and so they knew. They had seen the signs that he did. They heard Jesus teach. Oftentimes, we think it's only the miracles that bring people to Christ. No, it was the teaching as well. Remember in the scripture, it says, we have never heard anybody teach like this. How many had they never heard? Nobody. I think of the two on the road to Emmaus when Jesus, after rising from the dead, is walking. God, wouldn't you love to go on a Sunday walk with your wife or your best friend or whoever, and all of a sudden you're walking with somebody. Hey, can I walk with you guys? And it ends up being Jesus. (laughs) But that's what it was. And they, you read the scriptures there. They said, our hearts burned as he opened up the Old Testament scriptures to them and showed himself in them, see? And so they had that, you guys. They had that. They had Jesus teaching. They either witnessed or they had heard about the father saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased in his baptism, see? 
There was all kinds of evidence. Evidence is never the problem. It's all around us. Docu- doc- documented in prophecies recorded in the Bible. The historical accuracy of the Bible. Listen, the majority of the world doesn't believe Christ. And just because they see the Bible isn't reliable, the Bible isn't accurate, the prophecies aren't true, it's not a historical document, you just go, well, hogwash. (laughs) It is. And it is, you guys. History has proven itself so. There have been things in the Bible that at times they say, we don't find this in history. And just give it time. Just give it time till they keep digging in the dirt over there and they find documentation. Even the Hittites, you think, okay, it's just New Testament. No, even the Hittites that are mentioned in the Old Testament for years, they had no evidence of a people that were known as the Hittites. Well, guess what? They kept digging in the dirt and they found it, see? So it's amazing that idea there. And when they didn't believe, he says, you would not listen. Evidence isn't the problem. Look at what Edwin Bloom says. Unbelief often claims to be scientific, but here it is just stubborn and willful. I like that. That's why I wanted to share that with you. I just thought, that's it. They are stubborn and they are willful. Well, the man continues, verse 30. The man answered, while this is... Now, remember, he's talking to the Pharisees, these powerful dudes. He says, the man answered, why? This is an amazing thing, explanation point. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? (laughs) See, I think a bunch of people going, a bunch of people are right with this guy. We know what happened and where he comes from, this Jesus. We know that God does not listen to sinners. And and so this is a man saying this. See where he's at? This This is an intelligent man. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Isn't that amazing? You get great insight to this man. Blind, begging, downcast of society. But he wasn't ignorant. He wasn't stupid. He was just in the situation he was because he was born that way. But he is insightful here to us. And I love his answer, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. You know, you can just see it. You can just see he stumps the Pharisees, and at the same time, if you were looking at the Pharisees, you would kind of see their necks tightening up. You might see their faces growing red because he is pulling their chains, and they are getting angry. And with that, he's excommunicated. Look at verse 34. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. So sad. So sad that that took place, that they did that. And so still being in the area of the temple, um, well, actually, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. Merrill Tenney, another quote I want to give you. Merrill Tenney says this, to this argument, the Jews had no real answer. So they attacked the man by character assassination. They made him feel unworthy to answer on his, be- on his behalf or Jesus. Then they excommunicated him, thus isolating him from his family and his friends and debarring him from employment. So we just think they said you can't. Today, see, this doesn't happen. If a person for whatever reason and the, the eldership of a church has to tell a person, listen, you can't no longer come here. 
Sadly, in America, you just go to the next church and there's no consequences in that. And this isn't like that. There, it isn't a matter of going to another synagogue. He is excommunicated from going to worship God in a synagogue, but he is also um, isolated now from family and friends. And in this case, you'd say, well, he couldn't work anyway. Well, now he can, he can see, but not anymore. People would have nothing to do with someone. That was the culture in those days. And so the last scene, look at the first part of verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said. And so still being in that area and Jesus obviously is in the area. We, we think we seek Jesus at times, you guys. But do you understand? And I hope you are old enough or you are mature enough or maturing enough in your faith to understand really the scales are tipped the other way. He seeks me more than I seek him. He has got my back more than I ever have his back. And so oftentimes, just at the nick of time, he grabs us by the collar and lifts us out of potential danger. I really believe that. And I really hope that that little thing right there, that little part of verse 35, when they cast him out, that Jesus went, it says that Jesus heard that they cast him out and he went and found him. I hope that will speak to you this morning. Again, that's what Jesus does. Look at these passages, Matthew 18. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and this is Jesus speaking, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go to search the, of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. And so it will be, so it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And then look at Luke. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, this is the prodigal son story, his father saw him. And of course, this is a picture of salvation. So the illustration of the prodigal son, the father is a representation of God. The prodigal son is a, uh, it represents you and I. While he was still his... Hang on, I've got to get to the right verse. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and this is one of my favorite verses, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And that is so awesome. That's what we need to understand. And in this man, in Jesus hearing what had happened to the man, Jesus isn't going to let it go. Oh, he'll be okay. Let's go find him. I need to talk to him. See? And guys, be encouraged by that. You know, sometimes when we're going through something and we're in that lowest part of whatever we're going through, it's sometimes hard, isn't it, to believe that God has us and God isn't going to let us go and he's holding on to us. That's why at times you have to understand our walk with the Lord has to be more than just emotions because in those times your emotions are doubting God and that's when you go to the word of God and you read passages like this. You know what God's word says and you stand on that word and you don't waver. And that is so important to do. And I see Jesus' next words, just so you see them too. I think they're soft. I think they're tender. I think they're full of compassion. Look at the last part of verse 35 into 38. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now Jesus is talking to this blind man, the former blind man. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? See, it isn't confrontation. 
Do you believe in the, you know, it's not that at all. You know, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, who is he? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. That is a very tender moment right there when Jesus encounters the man once again. He hadn't seen Jesus. Do you understand that? When Jesus healed him, he wasn't healed when Jesus put the mud on his eyes. He had to go. When he came back up the air, this is the first time now that he counters Jesus. But he could recognize the voice. And so now he sees the one. He hears the one who had given him back its sight. And I think, you know, when it says that he worshiped him, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. You think there might have been a tear or two? And I love it that he, he does exactly what he does. He had lost the ability to worship in the synagogue by the Jewish authorities, but he gained the ability to worship Jesus. He's cast out by the Pharisees, but Jesus never casts anyone out that come to them. John says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Listen, I want to speak just for a second to any of you here today that you question your salvation and I might get in trouble for this, you feel you can lose your salvation. I think the scripture is clear that when we come to Christ, we are secure in Christ. The question remains, did somebody really come to Christ if they seemed uh, like they say they did, but then they never walk for him? That's not what I'm talking about. But if you've come to Christ, you have got to get that settled in your life that you are secure in Christ. You need to know Romans 8, that nothing can separate us, right? And it's, it's, you have to live that way. Because all these other things will come at you. And it doesn't mean that you can live in such a way that you don't have to worry about your salvation, your relationship with Christ. No, that is not how a believer lives. But we see that in the scene. And that is the goal of salvation, isn't it? The goal is being saved. It is to come to believe and have faith in Jesus and to worship him. And that's what this man did. The worship, the word worship here, let me show you what it means here. It means to kneel or fall fall before one to bow and show reverence. And I love the picture because I think that's what this guy does. It, it, goes, it goes farther than often what we experience with other people. I think there is in this man this gratefulness for this individual standing before him that he changed my life. But almost in a split second he realizes and he is God because only God can do this. And I think he fell before him and he worshiped him, which is appropriate. Right? And what an amazing picture we get of that. And maybe this is how we should close this morning. By asking ourselves, and this is going to seem so obvious, so like, well, of course I do. But why would I ask it if I thought that was the case? See, as I was sitting here and um, we were worshiping this morning, I was thinking about something I said. It's interesting. This is how we should always approach the Bible. Lord, what would you say to me in this passage of Scripture? And you need to ask yourself that. You're not here this morning just to kind of do church for an hour and a half and leave. We want to say to Scripture, Lord, Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, what would you have me see in this passage? See? And I think what I'd ask you guys is this. Do you, do I, worship Jesus. See, it's easy to just go, the answer is yes. Okay, move on, Scott. No, let me. Do I worship Jesus? There might be some of you here today 
and you have never asked Christ into your life. You have to ask him into your life. It isn't like if you hang out with another believer, it just kind of rubs off on you. And next, you know, you know, that's not how it is. Jesus is looking for individuals to ask him to come into their life, to forgive them of their sin, and for them in response to worship him, to believe in him, to follow him. And if you are here today and that's never answered, you, that, that has never happened in your life, it is such a simple answer that I'm going to say this. You do not worship Jesus. If you have not invited him to your heart, you cannot be a worshiper of Jesus. You may know about him. You may be in church and love all this stuff. You have to ask him into your life. You have to admit to him and confess to him that I am a sinner, Lord. And I need you who had no sin in life, who died on the cross for me to come into my life. And if you will, Jesus will come into your life right now. You know, I was reading a book this week about the early days of Calvary and how so often the spirit would just move and it wasn't even necessary to give an altar call. Things just started happening. Amazing. And I just want to say that today, that I believe whether we know the Lord or don't know the Lord here today, the Lord moves and speaks. And if he is speaking to any of you today about something, you need to respond. You absolutely have to respond. If you do not respond, you are hardening your heart. You're, you're deafening your ears. You're, you're, uh, the part, part of that sensitivity in your conscience is going to take place, and pretty soon there'll be no sensitivity. And you don't want that. The other thing is if you are here and Jesus is your Lord, Jesus is your Savior, again, it seems obvious. Have you chosen to worship him? Um, do you do and what I mean by that, do you worship him daily? And again, that maybe for you a morning quiet time is a time of worship. Yes. But it has to be throughout the day, doesn't it? Throughout the day, do you find yourself praising him? Do you find yourself speaking to him? I hope you do. Do you ever I do that all the time? I, I think if somebody was around me that didn't know the Lord, because I literally will do it out loud. I'll go, something will happen. I'll go, thank you, Lord. You know, and they'll just like, oh, that's weird. I mean, I told you the story one time years ago with my neighbors, the neighbors that I started mowing their lawn, all that junk. And so one day we're talking to the son and the dad and, and the son's adult, adult too. And they were telling me something happened. I just went, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> and then I realized, and they just kind of looked at me. They had no reaction like, I just let it lie there. I said, I'm sorry. It just, you know, for, I know I, I can't help that. I was excited for them, see? And we want to do that, you guys. Can you see you that believe the Lord? Is there submission in your life every single day? Does it just seem, I'm not, I know we don't think about the Lord 24 hours a day, every minute. But can you honestly say, oh no, he's the Lord of my life. He's there, and I commune with him throughout the day. That's what I'm talking about. The greatest need to the one who does not know him is to receive him. And the greatest need to the one who does know him is to worship him. And that's what I'd leave you this morning. Worship team, come on back, you guys. That's what I would leave with you today, that we want to worship Jesus. It involves singing songs at times. That's worship. But it's so much more than that. And then, so maybe, and today let's close with, a, 
If you need prayer, Joel will be over here. I'll be over here. If you do not know Christ and you want to give your life to Christ, I know it could be difficult, but during this time of worship, come up to one of us and say, I don't know Christ. Would you introduce me to him? We will pray with you. And the rest of you who do know Christ, is there something that the Lord is tugging at your heart that you need prayer for? We'll pray with you. Others will pray with you. You know, you don't always have to come up. Many times I know you're sitting by friends. Have we ever leaned to the person next to us and say, so-and-so, would you pray with me right now? We can do that. It's okay. There's no ant rule against that in this place. Amen. And so just let this passage speak to you guys.